come to you this morning in need of grace. Your word simply says what it says, and I don't want to speak anything into it that you have not said. And at the same time, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us in order for us to see what the Spirit is speaking to us as individuals. And so, Father, as we all have come from different circumstances, we all live different lives, we all have different spheres of influence, we all have different problems. But I think the one thing we do have in common is we all got problems. And so, Father, would you minister to us this morning? Would you teach us, Holy Spirit, what we need to know, what we need to believe, the things that you've called us to let go of, the things that you've called us to pick up, um, the way that you've called us to live as your children. Lord, would you guide us by your spirit through your word and uh, give us understanding and wisdom and knowledge and more than anything, give us more of Jesus this morning. Show us Jesus through this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we've been studying uh, the, the, the great cloud of witnesses. Um, this is an arena, if you will. If you're an individual believer and you're standing in the middle of a, a huge stadium, picture it like that. You're standing in the Cardinals Ball Stadium, Bush Stadium. You're standing in the middle, and as a person of faith, many times it's easy to start thinking, I'm the only one. And if you go to your jobs, and if you go into your spheres of influence, maybe even your families, especially around the holidays, you might think, I'm the only Christian here. There's lots of people that call themselves Christians in our culture that are not. They're not living lives that show that they've repented of their sin and they're walking by faith. And so we're surrounded by the, the, those that are, those that say they are, and those that, real, you know, those that are not. And, and the reality is, as we walk by faith, many times all Satan has to do is make us feel like we're alone, and then it's easy for us to kind of cool off and go, what does it matter? I'm not going to make a difference anyway. But the reality is we are surrounded by, if, if not physically, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And if you put yourself in the middle of Bush Stadium, you're standing there on the pitcher's mound. We are surrounded by a multitude of witnesses, people that have walked by faith before us and have obtained the promise. They have obtained the they are in the presence of the Lord. They haven't earned it on their own. They've trusted Jesus through this life. And now they are in the presence of their Savior. And so we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews actually starts listing. And I love this because he does it chronologically. I don't know about you guys. I like things in order. I like things in a certain way. So he started in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, talking about by faith, we believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that we see were not created or made by the things that are seen. And, and the reality is he starts at creation because for us, it takes faith to believe that creation started with invisible. Because everything that we see that was made was made by or and of something. And so he starts with creation and he starts walking through the generations that God had spoken to, and they believed by faith. So we get this phrase, by faith. This person did this, by faith. This person did this, by faith. This person did this. There is nothing in here that's listed by the writer of, by unbelief, this person did this. Because he's pointing out all the things that these individual, real, living, historical people did by faith. And the reality is, 
that these people also did things by unbelief. It doesn't list those things, but they are realistic things that happened in their lives that caused there to be consequences. They were sins. They were, and they've caused consequences in future generations in their families. Nobody sins unto themselves. If you sin, you're sinning against God, but you're also sinning against your family, and you're teaching them, whether you realize it or not, that that's okay. So repentance is also something we have to do by faith in front of our families. I don't know about you guys, but as a pastor, living by faith is one thing out in the public view. But living by faith at home when no one's watching, except the two little ones running around and my wife, that they're the acid test of what I really believe. And so this cloud of witnesses is full of people that are also in families. And so we looked at Abraham and Sarah, and we looked at the fact that they were an example of faith that obeys and waits for God to fulfill his promises. They were called to wait, but they were also called to obey while they waited. And so then we look at that. This is the kind of faith that was passed on through future generations. It didn't stop with Abraham and Sarah. It started with Abraham and Sarah, but then it passed on to future generations. But it's not like the way that we look. It's not like our genetics. It's not like, you know, it, we can't pass it on just by mere fact that I am so-and-so's son or daughter. Faith doesn't pass on like that. We don't get, it doesn't happen naturally. It has to be taught. Now, here's the reality. We can live by faith. We can teach our kids the right way. We can teach them about Jesus and believing him and following him. But the reality is that doesn't mean they'll follow either. It takes faith to lead your kids in faith. And so we look at this example of the godly generation of Abraham. And um, we'll start in verse 17, where it says there, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. I don't know about you guys, but when I've thought about this story in the past, I fall into the temptation to believe that Isaac was actually a young, like, Judah's size. Imagine he's walking through the wilderness for three days, and he's been told by God to offer up his son as a sacrifice. If he's two and three years old, most of the time, I won't say all the time, Judah will pretty much believe anything I say. He's not a cynic yet. He's not yet seen that I fail and that I sometimes don't hold my word. So he'll do pretty much anything I say. But the kid that Abraham takes to the altar is a teenager. Teenagers don't believe anything anybody says. So just the mere fact that Abraham told his son we're going to go and make a sacrifice, his son goes with him, they walk up on the mountain, they take, his son goes, hey, I've got the wood, we've got the fire, you brought the knife, where's the sacrifice? And at that point, he says, God will provide himself a sacrifice well that's all good and well till they get to the altar they build the altar he puts the wood on there he says okay isaac climb on up it doesn't say anywhere in scripture that isaac said no i ain't doing what you say you're not the boss of me i'm a 13 year old or whatever he 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 obeyed it's hard to get kids to do what we want them to do right 
we can try to coerce them through power. I'm your dad, and therefore you have to. But they get to a certain age, and you can do that all you want. So you're blue in the face. And they'll look at you and say, no. And you can ground them till the cows come home. They don't care. I would like that. Not outwardly, but sometimes inwardly. I'll do it, but I don't want to, you know. But what it says there is that Isaac did what his dad told him to. And I don't think it's because Abraham threatened him. I think that it's because he built a relationship of trust. And so when he told him to get up on the altar, Isaac knew what was getting ready to happen. And yet it doesn't say anything about him mouthing his dad. He got up there and said, okay. His dad tied him down. And then as he even got to the point where he's raising the knife, it never says that Isaac jumped off the altar. I would have. And yet what happens is that Abraham believed God, obeyed God, and then God provided himself the sacrifice. He said, stay your hand, Abraham. King James Version, stay your hand. What's that even mean, right? Stop. And Abraham says, what? what? And he says, look over there, and there's, there's the, the ram in the thicket. Abraham takes Isaac off, puts the ram on, a substitutional sacrifice pointing to Jesus. He burns the, the, the offering, burns the wood, and it's an aroma before God. And at that point, God makes a promise to Abraham. Since I know that you will not withhold from me the thing that you hold the most dear, I'm going to provide for you a sacrifice. Abraham never met Jesus, although many presuppose that he did because of the Christophanies in the Old Testament where he had communion and some other things, but he didn't see Jesus. He just saw that lamb, and he sacrificed it, and because of that, his son was not sacrificed. And so I just was thinking about that this morning because if Abraham was a hypocrite, if Abraham had laid down a pattern of, I believe God, but doing his own thing, I don't think that his son would have willingly laid on the altar. I think his son would have seen right through that and been like, no. I've seen you do this before, Dad. I'm going to do my own thing. And yet, Abraham, because of his lifestyle, commanded respect. His submission to the Lord commanded respect without ever raising a hand. And so, this is the kind of faith that was passed on through future generations. So, as we move on, we go to his sons. By faith, Abraham, but then it, you go down to verse 20, and it says, by faith, Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. These who lived by faith lived in circumstances that were impossible. These people lived in circumstances it wasn't that clear to them. We read the Genesis account. We go, well, obviously God's going to be faithful. But they weren't there when their previous generation lived by faith and had to make decisions with unknowns. They didn't get to see that firsthand. They just heard the stories that their parents told. But what we find is that Abraham makes this huge step of faith, and then later in verse 20, 
Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau. Isaac was that son of promise. Isaac was that son that had a ram presented for him instead of him being killed on the altar. So at this point, he says just kind of flippantly, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So what's he talking about? In Genesis 27, we have the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau were turds. And if you'll give me the liberty to say turd from up here, they were turds. They were not good kids. If you've ever thought, well, I'd walk by faith if my kids were that obedient. Jacob and Esau were the poster boys for somebody you just want to whip their hiney all the time. They were not good kids. And, and I would suggest to you that anybody who wants to walk by faith won't have good kids. There's no such thing biblically. The only good kid is one who has repented of his ungoodness, his sin, and started to follow Jesus. But in Genesis chapter 27, we have Jacob and Esau. And <clears throat> Jacob and Esau were always at each other. They were twin boys, and, and they were always up to something. And let me submit to you that the mom and dad were also in on it. So sibling rivalry was kind of fostered by the children. Jacob and Esau, it says, it came to pass, verse 1 of chapter 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called his son Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. What we find out from the text is that Esau was kind of his favorite. He was a man's man. He was hairy. He liked to kill animals. He was good at it. And he could cook food. Men, we like food, right? You can win our hearts with food. Well, Esau had done this with his father. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me. Make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So he's going to pronounce a blessing. He's going to speak blessing over his son. Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's important what we say to our kids. He's trying to bless him. He's going to pass on the blessing that he received from his dad, Abraham. And so he's going to bless him, but first he wants a nice meal. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard that your father was speaking to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. So what we find is that Rachel, Isaac's beloved, is going behind Isaac and is actually going to try and deceive him through Jacob. See, her favorite son was Jacob. And she wanted Jacob to have the blessing. And so what we find is that this was according to the will of God. God somehow worked out their family dynamic to where he was actually going to start the nation of Israel through Jacob. We don't know him as Jacob. We know him as Israel. Jacob means heel catcher means someone who supplants or someone who basically deceives. But Israel means governed by God. 
And so God's going to do something in Jacob's future that will actually make him a man worth blessing. But until then, he's this supplanter, and his mom actually kind of encourages it and tells him, I'm going to take your brother's garment, put it on you. I'm going to kill some of the animals from our flock, and then you're going to give this meal to your dad because he can't see anything. I'm going to have him bless you. (laughs) Kind of fun, right? They got a messed up family situation. Mom and dad aren't even working together. And the kids, it's no wonder they don't get along. So he went to his father after all this took place. He said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. He lies. And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau. But Isaac said to his son, verse 20, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Uh Uh-oh, got to come up with another lie to cover my lie. Because the Lord your God brought it to me. It's a very spiritual sounding lie, but it's still a lie. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then he said, Are you really my son Esau? So he's still not quite sure. He said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me. Excuse me. Yeah, bring it near to me. I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, he ate, and then he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come nearer now, kiss me, my son. So I, I, don't, I was reading this this morning, kind of made me think of Judas. Are, are you really for me? Yeah. Come near, and, and, and then Judas betrays the son of man with a kiss. And here we have Judah, uh, Jacob, he, he says, come near and kiss me, my son. He came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing. He's wearing Esau's clothing. And he blessed him and said. So then all of this leads up to blessing. All this lying. All this deceiving. All this betrayal of his dad's confidence. And then he blesses him. I don't know about you guys, but I can put myself in Jacob's shoes. I can't relate with somebody that's super godly. I was a liar. I was a supplanter. I was a deceiver. Somebody asked me how my grades were. Oh, they're going great. You know, that was my thing. You know, what have you been doing with your time? Oh, awesome stuff. You know, been, you know, but the reality was I was a liar. And in our house, that was like the worst thing you could be. And my dad would tell me that. The worst you, thing you can be is a liar. And then I would lie to him. And so I, I've done that with God. My past is not one where I was just walking with the Lord and doing everything right. I lied to God. I, I rebelled against God. I did my own thing. And then all that led up to blessing. God continued to pursue me. He continued to love me. And then he blessed me with a future and a hope that I could. I look at my family right now. On Christmas morning, I'm going to look at my family and go, how did I get here? I don't deserve the least of this. My wife actually loves me. 
we get along even when the even during Christmas time we're trying to figure out how we're going to buy gifts and do all the stuff that goes along with that and plan family dinners and when we'll be able to get together and all the scheduling and the kids yelling and us never actually having time to talk and we still get along and that's the grace of God that's his presence in our lives making chaos serene at moments and and so we we have the blessing he says surely the smell of my son is like a field the smell of a field which the lord has blessed therefore may god give you of the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine he says let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you he, he's just pronounced a blessing that he will actually be over his brother, and his brother would serve him. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. This is the same blessing that God pronounced over Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. So he's passing this blessing on. So Isaac blessed and spoke words over them, into them, and he pass the promises and blessings along to Jacob. And then what we find out is that Jacob later will bless and worship before his sons. He had 12 sons. We named the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Genesis 48, he actually gets the opportunity not only to bless his sons, but in the case of Joseph, who if you remember the story, Joseph was sold to slave traders. Jacob thought he was dead. His older brothers all hated Joseph. And then when Joseph down the road is found to be alive in Egypt, and is actually the second in command in Egypt, Jacob comes to him because there's a famine. He gets to meet not only his son, but then to meet Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two sons. And when he blesses them in Genesis chapter 48 and 49, he actually blesses Ephraim and, and uh, Manasseh. And so just like Jacob, the younger brother, gets the blessing, he gets the, the blessing of the firstborn instead of Esau, we find out later that Jacob, seeing God's pattern to bless the unlikely to be blessed, he blesses Ephraim, who's the younger of him and Manasseh. And as a matter of fact, Jacob, uh, <laughs> Joseph gets a little mad about it. You know, Jacob takes his hands, and he's got Ephraim and Manasseh, and of course, Joseph is placed Ephraim right here because he's the oldest. Sorry, Manasseh right here at the right hand of his father. And he places Ephraim here. And then what Jacob does is he sees which sons are there and he switches hands and he goes like this. And he blesses the younger with the blessing of the firstborn. That's how God does it. So anyway, he, he, it says there in, back here in Hebrews, it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So he blessed the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped God in that blessing. And he passes on the same blessing that was bestowed upon him from his father. God will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And the fatness of the land would be provided for him. Plenty of wine and plenty of grain. But then it says there something that's kind of odd. He did all this leaning on the top of his staff. Why would it say that? What does it have to do with anything? 
what he's standing on. Well, he's leaning on his staff because Jacob is still a sojourner. People that traveled had staffs to walk with. You don't see people that don't go hiking without a hiking stick or with a hiking stick. But when you go hiking, it's helpful to have a hiking stick. And, and so I, Jacob still had this hiking stick because he wasn't founded or placed anywhere. He lived in a tent. He saw, he decided, I'm a sojourner in this world, not living for the kingdoms of this life. I'm living for the future that is in heaven with a city whose builder and maker is God. And so it says there that he, he did this leaning on top of his staff. He was still holding loosely to the foundations that this world can provide. And then he goes on by faith, verse 22, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So Joseph, by faith, planned ahead. And we're not talking 401k. If you have a 401k, then go for it. It's great. I'm glad. But Joseph planned ahead by giving instructions concerning his bones. He says, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. God has promised that he's going to deliver my people out of Egypt. They're only here for a period of time. They're going to be delivered into this land of Canaan that was promised to my great-great-grandfather, Abraham. And he told Abraham, if you remember from last week, God had told Abraham, there's going to come a time where your people, there's going to be a famine in the land, they're going to go to Egypt, they're going to be there for 400 years, and the Egyptians, the Pharaoh's going to oppress them, going to make them his slaves. They're going to forget about the blessing of Joseph giving him wisdom, and they're going to see us as a, an off-scouring, a people that are getting too big, and they're going to oppress you to keep you down. And at that point, God's going to send a deliverer who we now know as Moses. And he's going to deliver them out of the land. He says, when God fulfills his promise, when he takes us four or five generations down the road from this land, take me with you. God promised that I would be in his land. I want to be there. I want to go with you. Because Joseph looked forward to a time of resurrection. And he wanted to be caught up in the resurrection with his people. Did you know that the Old Testament saints believed in resurrection? That it wasn't new with Jesus? As a matter of fact, when Lazarus was dead in the cave that they had buried him in, the, in the tomb, and, the, and Jesus said, I, you know, he showed up too late in their perspective. He had already died, and we can't do anything about it now, Jesus. He's already died. Don't open the, don't open the tomb. By now he stinketh. And then what he, what he said was, hey, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. And the people there said, oh, of course, we, of course we believe in the resurrection. We know he's going to rise on the day that everybody rises from the grave. He said, no, now, today, he's going to be brought back to life. And he said, come out, Lazarus. And of course, he walks out. Of course, they're blown away. But they believed in the resurrection in the Old Testament. And so here we have, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. He gave instructions concerning his bones. There was no reason for Joseph to believe that they would be leaving Egypt other than that's what God had told them. So by faith, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents 
because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. I apologize, my voice is super dry. So by faith, Moses. Moses had two parents by the name of Amram and Jochebed. Most of us don't know their names, but they're in the genealogy. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, at that time, they were killing the firstborn males. Any ma- well, the males. The Egyptians saw that the, the children of Israel were getting too many, and they saw that they, they were having tons of babies, and they were like, you know what? The best way to stop them from overcoming us is that we kill their boys so they can't have any more kids. And so uh, they, at that time, were instructing the Hebrew women to surrender their male sons, their, their sons, and when they would do that, they would actually have them killed. And so Moses' parents knew that it was not okay to end life. And so they s- decided to hide this child until it was weaned. I don't know about you guys, but babies don't just be quiet because you say, shh. So it took faith to disobey Pharaoh and to keep this child hidden. This must have been a supernatural thing for the baby to not cry and be heard. But for whatever reason, knew, nobody knew that she was keeping this baby son. And at the time that this son was weaned, she weaved a basket, an ark, if you will, and she placed the child in this ark, putting it in the water, and then trusting that God would take care of the baby. Now, it just so happened, by God's providence, that the wife of Pharaoh, or was it the daughter of Pharaoh, picks up this child feels sorry for it, sees that it's crying. Imagine that, compassion in the ladies. And then she picks up this child and takes it home and makes it her own. But she can't nurse. So the sister of Moses is standing there, sees the child lifted up and says, hey, would you like me to get one of the Hebrew ladies to come and nurse this child? And she goes, yes. So she goes and gets Moses' mom. Moses' mom gets to keep her child. If anyone desires to keep his life, he must give it up. If anybody loses his life for the sake of God, he will find it. And so we have this truth embedded in the story of Moses, who she, by faith, gave up her son and received him. Abraham, by faith, gave up his son, and God gave him back, received him. It was faith. It doesn't take any faith to hold on to what you already have. It takes faith to lay down what God's given you and trust that if he wants you to keep it, he'll give it back. So we have that in these two stories. But what we find is that later, 
Moses' parents' faith does not get talked about a whole lot. Moses' does, because there's movies like the Ten Commandments. There needs to be a movie about Moses' parents. I'd watch it. Can you imagine the conversation between mom and dad? Hey, I'm going to lay him in the Nile River. Seems like a bad idea. He can't swim. Well, I built the boat, so it's totally fine. Most of the time, it would be the dad that would say that. It wouldn't be the mom, by the way. He'll be fine. That's my line. My wife says, uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to die. He's just got a cold. I'm pretty sure he's on death's door. You know, there's just that constant, can you imagine the conversation between Amram and Jochebed? It takes faith. It's not faith in themselves. Faith in ourselves is actually condemned in Scripture. Faith in themselves is what caused Abraham to despair. I'm not going to have a child. His faith in himself found out how broken he was. Moses was the same way. Faith in himself would cause him to go, I can't go speak before Pharaoh. God said, I'm going to speak through you. And so Moses, by faith, he forsook Egypt to be with God's people. He refused what we might even have called in that day. If we were alive that day, we'd go, you should have your best life now. It was successful, worry-free, no taxes, right? All the stuff that we would love to have. He had a comfortable place to live. He was the second to the Pharaoh. He was probably going to be an heir to the throne because of adoption, and yet he refused it. Faith causes us to take what the world offers and go, it's not worth it. How many of us do that? So he refused a successful life in the eyes of the world. Moses kept Passover. Moses obeyed. There was no Passover. The Israelites to this day practice Passover. But Passover was instituted in Egypt when God said, I'm going to destroy the firstborn in every household in Egypt. All of those who trust me want you to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, want you to kill it, you spill its blood, I want you to eat the lamb. When you're done eating the lamb, take the blood and spread it on the doorpost. And any house that has this blood applied to it, the angel of death that's going to come over and judge the firstborn in every household, it's going to pass over that house by faith. Okay, so I apply blood to my house, and then my son's not going to die. I'll try it, but good grief, how's that going to work? They had to take it. God said it, he'll do it. So Moses kept the Passover. He told all the people to keep Passover. And uh, Passover was a foretaste of our salvation in Christ. We need the blood of Jesus applied to our life by faith. And then God's judgment passes over us. And we are involved in a relationship with him. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea by faith. The whole nation baptized into the life of faith in Canaan. God had called them out of Egypt. Faith brings you out. Brings you out of the world. Brings you out of a sinful lifestyle. And then it brings you in. But first it has to bring you through. Faith brought them out of Egypt. But then faith had to lead them through the Red Sea. I think it would be really cool to walk through a sea where there's water on both sides. Don't get me wrong. And that the ground is dry. But I think it would also be very scary. I know that when I go to the St. Louis Arch, and I get in that little tiny, like, elevator egg thing, 
and then it's going, I know there's tons of people that have gone before me, made it all the way to the top. I don't know how tall people do it. I get in that thing, and I feel huge. Anybody normal size probably feel huger. But you go in that thing, and then you look out the windows, and you're like, is this thing moving? Am I going to die? This has been sitting here for a while. They built it in the 60s. You know, like, how many of these guys that were operating cranes were on something? They didn't have no drug testing. But then, if you think about the faith that it takes and how we do it, blindly. Now think about how big it would feel if you, in particular, are stepping into the Red Sea, watching the water on both sides. I don't know if it looked like a fish tank right there or if the water was complete. I don't know. It just says that it stood up, divided, and if Moses' little arms get tired and he brings them down, the water's going to fall. He's had his arms up all night. He's got people helping him hold his arms up. So you're walking through. It's one thing to say, yeah, they passed through the Red Sea. It's a whole other thing to be the one standing in the middle of it. That's what faith does. Faith is scary. It's not simple. It's not easy. So they passed through an entire nation. Many estimates say 1.2 million people. I don't like traveling with 50. 1.2 million people walk through and then when the Egyptians are chasing them, they, the, finally the last one steps out and the sea falls on the Egyptian soldiers and they're destroyed. So it took faith. So as we close, verse 30, I'm sure I'm missing pieces, but this is just an amazing chapter and there's so much to say. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. They walked around the, the walls of Jericho, this walled city. You couldn't take it by just talking to it. You could, everybody would take tanks. They, you know, if we, we would do it with tanks. We'd shoot down the walls, and then we'd destroy everybody. But God said, walk around the walls. Walk around the walls every day. And on the seventh day, he said, shout. And they shouted, and God knocked down the walls. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish. She was one of those that was living in Jericho. She had believed what she had seen. For she had heard about the Israelites 40 years ago getting delivered from Egypt. She had heard about and possibly even seen them being brought through the Red Sea. She knew that their God had done great things to deliver them. And so when the spies come in, she invited them in, she protected them, and she said, how can I be saved? And they said, leave a strand of red cord out your window. And then when they came and walked around, guess who wasn't destroyed? Rahab and her whole family. A harlot, someone that knew she didn't deserve to be delivered. Verse 32, and what more shall I say for the time would fail me? And it does this morning for me too. The time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith did great exploits. Gideon was a man that God called a man of great valor, but he wasn't. He was a farmer. He was threshing wheat. He did it in a place you wouldn't thresh wheat so they wouldn't come steal it. He, he was a scared man. He was broken. 
Barak was one that was a deliverer in the book of Judges. But unless Deborah, the judge, the only woman judge, came in and encouraged him, he wouldn't have walked by faith. Samson was not a godly man. <laughs> so we see these exploits. We hear about these faithful, but they weren't perfect. They were broken. And Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, look at what they did, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, Think about Daniel. I got a picture there for you, but Daniel was locked into a lion's den with hungry lions. These were trained to eat men. He's locked in there. He, by faith, trusted that God would save him. And God shut the mouths of the lions. Um, quenched the violence of fire. Makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just because they had faith didn't mean that God wouldn't allow them to be put through a trial. They survived it. They escaped. It says they escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the foreigners, and women received their dead, raised to life again by faith. Think about the story of Elijah, who had never had a son, and yet Elijah comes and he, he says, you're going to have a son, and so she has this son that she didn't even really pray for, it sounds like, and then a few years later she... She comes to Elijah and she says, hey, my son's been killed. He's dead. Not killed, but he died of sickness. I didn't even want a son and you gave me the son. So she goes to the prophet and the prophet comes back and he, he prays and he lays over the top of the body to warm it up and he prays, Lord, and then he, he lays on the, and then back to life. Brought back to life. Women receive their dead, raised to life again. So faith looks like receiving the promise. Faith looks like obtaining what we need. But I also want to submit to you that faith doesn't always get what it wants. Faith always gets what God's will is. So as we turn the corner, there in verse 35, it says, Others, by faith, keep that in mind. By faith, these worked miracles and righteousness and shut the mouth of lions, but then go on to verse 35, part 2, and it says, Others, by faith, were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. When they were given the opportunity to not be killed for their faith, they would not deny Jesus. And so by faith they were killed, looking forward to obtaining a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented by faith. Sometimes it takes more faith to come through a situation than to be delivered. And look at this. This is what Scripture says about them. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens, and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They looked forward to what God was going to do. 
And so I, I read this passage and actually shared this passage. I still have the note in my Bible. I wrote down Sherry. We had a lady a few years back that developed uh, pancreatic cancer. And uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed that she'd be healed of it. And yet what happened is that she wasn't healed of it. Instead, she basically was tortured by pancreatic cancer for the last part of her life. Now, she had some mental issues. She had been in a car wreck. She had some brain problems, and she wasn't able to communicate very well. She's not the person that you would send up to be a Billy Graham. But she trusted Jesus. She didn't even know much Bible. But she trusted Jesus, and you can just tell that with her life. Her mom actually worked at Shepherd Mountain for 12 years, Kay Vandiver. Kay's story was crazy, and I would love to share it with you this morning, but it was just, if you could think of the craziest life um, for a young lady to go through. <laughs> she got pregnant one time in spite of her mom. Her mom said, you know, hey, I'm bringing some friends over, and her mom partied a lot, and of course that put Kay in the line of fire, and she told me the story, and she wouldn't care. She knew Kay, she'd just be fine with it. She just was a breath of fresh air. She just was who she was. And she said, so I showed my mom. I slept with the guy she brought over. And she had Sherry out of that. And so you could see where every man who had ever been in Kay's life had let her down or left her when she needed him. And she was very bitter about that. But Miss Kay watched her daughter die of pancreatic cancer. And she watched her die with grace and hope makes no sense and she said before Sherry died Sherry got to see her mom become a believer she gave her life to Jesus it wasn't on a Sunday morning she was laying in bed and she finally believed everything that everybody had told her because she saw the evidence of that belief in her daughter and so Miss Kay came to faith her daughter died anyway but a year later, then Miss Kay died, but not without hope. And I look so far. I don't have too many people's picture hanging in my room, but Miss Kay was very special to me, and her picture's in my room. And I miss her so much. But by faith, we obtain the promise. We're looking forward to our future hope. Jesus is the light of the world, but his light isn't shining very bright right now. But we look forward when we will see it face to face. I wrote some other stuff up there that I'm not going to get to. But by faith, we can live and bear witness as well. And I'm going to close with Romans chapter 5. True faith is lived now, looking ahead to the then. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified is a fancy word that says we've been made just as if we'd never sinned. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also, look at this, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces 
hope. And our hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we celebrate Jesus, the bread of life. And we celebrate Jesus, the blood that's been cleansing us of our sin and has cleansed us. But we also celebrate his presence because he promised to send us the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can believe all these crazy things he's promised us. But it all has to be done by faith. So let's pray. Father, we have been given hope. You told us when you said you would give us hope that it would be not, not be the hope that the world gives. But you have given us hope in Christ because though he was dead, though he was buried, though he rose from the dead and brought life, true life, abundant life. And so, Father, we cannot obtain the kingdom of heaven by doing stuff. We can't obtain the kingdom of heaven by uh, doing enough good works or acting like everything's fine. We can only obtain the promises by faith, by simply taking what you've told us and believing it and living in belief. So, Father, if there's anyone here today who does not have that hope, my prayer is that you would open their hearts to receive that hope. Hope that goes beyond unrealistic expectations of family. Hope that goes beyond what people think of us. Hope that goes beyond pancreatic cancer or whatever other kind of cancer. The odds are that most of us either know somebody or will experience cancer. And it can easily rob us of peace. And yet you had perfect peace knowing that your life was going to end in a brutal death. And your people have real peace because they know that whatever happens to their body in this life doesn't matter. It just doesn't. Thank you for that peace, Lord. My prayer is that you would grant that peace over every home represented here. That true, everlasting peace would be given abundantly overflowing and that as they experience that peace and that real relationship with you that everything else in their life would become worship that flows from a grateful heart father make us grateful on this christmas we love you and we're so grateful for you thank you for being humble and loving us thank you for pouring out your spirit upon us thank you for saving us Keep saving us, Lord. We, we need salvation from ourselves, from our circumstances. Lord, we need saved through the deep water to be brought into your presence, holy and unscathed. Give us the grace to walk. In Jesus' name, amen.